Everybody. Welcome to The Secret Ingredient. I was about to say, how are you doing this morning? <laughs> so are how you? are you doing this morning, Guelph? Rhetorical question. <laughs> um, you're listening to The Secret Ingredient, a show on 93.3 FM here in Guelph on traditional Adirondack territory. Um, we talk about art and ideas, and we're really, really excited um, this day, this fine day, to um, bring you over the phone from Creamore, Ontario, Fastworms. Fastworms are an art collective uh, that formed in 1979. Um, Kim Causey and Dice Skews are installers, DJs, video makers, manifesto writers, performance artists, drawers, and photographers. Um, they enact uh, witch positivity, working class aesthetics, queer politics, and um, often perform in public collaborations. They've got a DIY aesthetic and bring together in their artworks um, mirror and crochet and pegboard pegboard and denim. Pegboard would be great. Um, (laughs) And they've also been recently working um, with public sculptures. And I think um, many of our Guelph listeners uh, will have seen either their ex ovo omnia in uh, the uh, sculpture park at the McDonald's Stewart Art Center or their most recent uh, statue, the griffin, uh, that kind of lurks on a giant mm. tome uh, to mark the, the entrance of the University of Guelph. There's also the um, woodpecker column that was made in 1997 in Toronto, right. which is down by the... Um Skydome. So folks in Toronto might know that. Um, they've traded in their mountaintop geoplasma power surge studio 69 and biogenetics lab with all out back cave and wine cellar for a farm in Creamore, Ontario, and we're going to reach them there. <laughs> um, we'll get back to you in just a second. We're going to play a song that they've selected that's on their playlist right now. Um, they're listening to... Um, Zones tremors, and so we're gonna play that and get them on the line. So sit tight. Vibrations of tremors that shook long ago. Tear holes in the fabric of all that we know. Can't survive But the secrets we have All that we have is alive Hold the line Till the thread comes undone If you're thinking of letting me go Then it's time that you do
great good morning song um this is tremors by zone and we're going to bring kim and die on the line now good morning good morning yeah it's so great to have you guys on the show thank you so much for joining us this uh wednesday morning are you um are you having you're still here okay good you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I never trust it somehow each and every time. It's, ma- it's, strange, <laughs> it's magic, yes. the strange magic of radio. Um, so uh, Kim and I were really excited to have you on the line. Um, you've got a really incredible practice that brings together many different um, alliances, actually. And um, I've been reading Judith Halberstam's book, The Queer Art of Failure. It's one of my favorites. And um, Judith articulates an idea of low theory and kind of talks about a pirate culture as forming lineages of opposition to capitalist culture. Um, There are are tales of dispossessed commoners and urban insurrections, multinational motley crews who engineered mutinies on merchant ships and who sailed around the world bringing news of uprisings to different ports. And I think this historical narrative really draws on some of the lines and intersectional alliances between those of us who fail to meet the status quo. Um, And this is something really present in your practice. Uh, You talk about your practice as being blue collar and DIY, um, your alien feminist killjoy witches and you also attract others who, um, and you guys are fans of FEG too. Um, they've got those beautiful banners that say, we can't compete, we won't keep up, compete. And for our listeners, we've talked about FEG before. Right, thank yeah, you. They're the, the feminist, feminist art, art gallery, gallery in Toronto, yeah. yeah. So they've got these gorgeous granny squared um, banners that kind of talk to this idea of not being able to keep up with the system, but not being able to be suppressed either. So... Um, I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you navigate intentionally working in aesthetics that subvert that system without trying to speak for other voices, too, for everybody. So presenting an alternative that is open and has integrity. Well, that's a pretty wordy... Um, it is pretty, I'm sorry. We love the queer artist failure, absolutely. We love Alison Mitchell and Deirdre Logue from SAG Gallery. We've collaborated with them quite often and uh, we consult with each other on projects so um that's kind of a a nice um association for us um those banners um incidentally we did we were at the basket show we were in in the gift shop and we looked up from the array of you know merch and there were the banners hanging at the ago the very banners that have been dragged down city streets of toronto in protest so that was really kind of a wonderful moment so Mm. yes i i don't mind uh not competing and won't competing. But both <laughs> means I looked at each other when you were reading the queer artist failure, the, your question, and um, we both looked up and said, "Beautiful losers." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's us. <laughs> we're all beautiful losers. Well, <laughs> that the alternative you were asking about mm-hmm. is we used to say, "Well, you have two choices: you can be a loser or a beautiful loser." <laughs> <laughs> That's your Canadian alternative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's you some want to talk about pirate utopias. Um, oh, no. Like, community. <laughs> uh, our allegiance to that. I'm just wondering, um, 
I think I, I heard Sherry Boyle this weekend talk, or last weekend, two weekends ago, I guess, on a panel at This Is Paradise, and she said that she's people have identified with her practice, and she went to back to talk at her um, her high school, her art high school in Scarborough, and um, queer young people and trans young people came up to her and said, we really identify with your practice, and we really find some resonance in this um this kind of like really eccentric, amazing aesthetic. Um, but she herself is a straight white lady. So I'm just wondering if there's a way to kind of, um, to bring together those, um, queer ideologies, um, in an intersectional way. Um, and do you do that intentionally? Well, queer is a very inclusive you know, concept to yeah. begin with, right? So I don't know how Sherry identifies herself. <laughs> but maybe, you know, in our in our case, you know, we've already we've been working a long time and we've already put out what our what our uh what do you call it? Our our mission. policy statement, our mm-hmm, mission mm-hmm. Statement. Yeah, our our statement would be so we've always gone for the the polycultural and the polymorphous are is what where we lay our claim, right? Mm-hmm. So, in other words, we map our how would I put this? We map our idea of potentials onto also the biological world. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what witches do. Witches basically say, you know, science can tell us that we already share the majority of our genetic information with every other mm. living thing, mm-hmm. depending on different, how divergent we are from, you know, a point in time. So it really means that we're family, right? But it also means if you look at the biological world, diversity is not some vague political concept. It's an operating pr- principle, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when you have really um, dense and rich environments like... Uh, ocean reefs or, you know, jungle environments where there's the majority of life is concentrated, you get incredible divergence. You don't get just one model of butterfly that works, right? Yeah. You get an incredible spread of variations that just, they're part of the emergent properties of, you know, life. So why wouldn't you use those same principles in culture, right? Mm -hmm. There's no long-term advantages to, like, dividing people by their sexual preferences, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Into binaries. Yeah, and if you go back to, like, the book that we were mapping onto what you were talking about would be Pirate Utopias by um, Peter Lamborn Wilson. Mm -hmm. And he talks in there a lot about pirates really didn't... um, they didn't really care about your sexual affinities and your and your gender and or your race. Mm-hmm. They had a their approach was very much in reaction to the kind of you know prison cultures they came out of. But still, it was about in in terms of the utopian imagination. It's about always imagining an alternative. Mm-hmm. In any way, you're dissatisfied with the status quo. You have to create not just a reactionary critique of that, but you have to say, what if, or yeah. how about? The and that's, yeah. Yeah. that's where the arts come into it, because 
this is where you get to create structures that an alternate model yeah, alternate models that people can so look at in some cases but also um and not necessarily like uh, maps or governing principles but there's something inherent in that that that, that frees you up and, and loosens the imagination mm-hmm. allows I, you to inhabit different thought forms Absolutely. I wonder if this relates. I was reading a little bit about you last night about talking about relationality and looking at yourself in relation to the the natural world and the world around us. So I wonder if it means um, instead of kind of trying to impose a political structure or politics of binaries and of these kind of like boxes, that instead you're looking relationally and and operating relationally within that ecosystem. Yeah, of course. I mean, once you don't, well, it's like you were asking the question, you sent us an email question about the relationship of hierarchies to rhizomatic structures, for Mm -hmm. example. And it's, you know, it's obvious that there's certain hierarchies that still are operative in our, in our culture, including, you know, Judeo-Christian models and you know, political and other models, right? Mm-hmm. There's obvious failures to those kind of structures. They're just not as flexible. They're not as they're not as fast. They work on cycles of you know, rapid, unsustainable growth and then collapse. You know. Yeah. So again, we just we just align ourselves with the the actual flow and the dynamics of the world. Like in terms of rhizomes. We spend a lot of time where we live in actual, uh, how would you say? In the dirt? Yeah. <laughs> Dealing with certain kinds of grasses that mm-hmm. you, just, you can't eliminate them because, you know, that's one of the advantages of rhizomatic structures. There's, you can't say, oh, take me to your leader, you know. <laughs> there is none. It's, it's diffuse, right? Yeah. And so the obvious counterpart to that for contemporary people is, is the Internet. Mm-hmm. It's it's very difficult for anyone to say what is going on in the internet. Like you can say the internet, like it's a thing, or there's a one <laughs> server somewhere in one building that's you know got all the information. The Wizard of Oz, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't really exist, and people are still grappling with the dynamics of the internet because none of it was uh, predicted by the engineers that put it together. They had no. Nobody had any idea that it was going to have fractal dynamics and so forth. We we were chatting a little bit yesterday about how your practice draws upon the whole world as a as a bit of a field of research for various models, and then also how it operates within the art world and in public galleries and in public spaces in communities. And I I want to read a, a little tiny sentence from John Davies' beautiful essay in uh, the oh, yeah. catalog for your 2007 survey show at the AGYU. Um, called Donkey Ninja Witch, um, he says that the pair's imagery is viral, an object, symbol, figure, or animal, a horseshoe, pentacle, ghost, or mouse, may first appear, say, on a denim patch, but soon find its way into a poster or a flag painted on the wall or sculpted out of string, such as the monumental grotesque bat uh, crafted specifically for the AGYU. Um, and and there is something about this viral imagery that that we wanted to chat about with you today. The, these cats, bats, axes, uh, the 
the hair that comes back in, in multiple projects, pentacles, and how this symbolism um, mixes from punk and hip-hop and, and maker culture, and we're wondering what it means to blend those in and activate them within a contemporary context. I guess in terms of the exhibition, you're talking about the, the model as something akin to like um, an unregulated flea market mm-hmm. or the kinds of exchange you get when people are just, you know, cut loose in a, in a kind of a, a, an economic system that doesn't pay attention to certain kinds of boundaries and so mm. forth. So that's how we set that up. It's actually based on different, that exhibition on different um, flea markets that that we go to in the country where it's just crazy mixes of biker culture plus stoner culture plus I don't know, granny like, culture. Yeah, exactly, a fair bit of pegboard uh, included, and, and lots of, not necessarily trade culture, but people, you'll have a booth, um, let's say at the 400 market, there's Kelsey's Cut and Curl, and it's just this lovely little sort of pegboard booth, and Kelsey's been there for years, and she's, you know, wears the coat, she, and she cuts and perms hair. And it's a tiny little cubicle. It's only, you know, 10 feet by 12 feet. And she's been operating this for, for many years, like I said. And, and then there's also um, someone doing mortgages, and there's someone doing vinyl letters. And then there's the ninja booth, and then there's the fantasy booth, and the biker T-shirts. And, you know, but the, and they all kind of rotate around. And every week something's gone out of business or a new business has arrived. That's kind of what you call a pop-up now. And we rather enjoyed the interactivity of that, the different mm-hmm. the meeting of, of all these different kind of communities within this one sort of leveling space. So like Donkey Ninja Witch came out of um, a survey of exhibitions that we'd done at Jaja Gallery uh, mm-hmm. in, in collaboration in some cases with different with different artists. We do not like the binary when it comes to us. We are a shared Landry Harwood. Landry Harwood in particular, mm-hmm. you know, who, who ran Jaja and, and, and did Jaja West as well. Um, and we just actually did a show at Paul Petro's, which was not quite a collaboration, but it was an upstairs-downstairs um, exhibition of mm-hmm. performance. And, and with Andrew. With Andrew, yes. So um, I'm rambling on a little bit, but the storefront performance was a liberating experience for us. The 90s was a kind of a, a tough decade, I think, for the arts. And, um, and we wanted to just take it back to the streets again. So I would say that that was the forum that kind of started to be more of a generative process for us. And then at some point it did end up back in the gallery, which was a little uncomfortable. Mm. I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about how you do navigate those spaces because I think that as an artist you often do have have by nature of funding structures and um, the way we operate you you almost do have to work in many cases in a gallery or work at an institution and I'm wondering if you can talk about how you using this um, like or enacting this kind of uh, grassroots form of thinking and and I wonder how we, how do you resist that structure in a way while working within it well earlier you were talking about the the, the relationship or the resistance to capitalism it's the same thing it's not like you can actually opt out of capitalism. yeah exactly you know yeah. like we're we're fish in an ocean that's you know we just it's all around us you know we have to but when people actually critique capitalism, I sort of go, oh, you know, for witches, our thing is that feudalism really wasn't any better, actually, it was worse, <laughs> so. 
we've been, poison, right? <laughs> we've been with other systems before, and this one is just not working yeah. the same. <laughs> yeah, there are worse models. <laughs> when you're talking about institutional negotiation, that really has to do with the curator and the institution, right? Yeah. I mean, if you can occupy the same position, if we if we understand, like, okay, here's a structure. There's ex- there's exhibitions. It takes up this much space, and, and it does this and that. We just sort of say, okay, well, how about we just do it this way? Mm-hmm. It occupies the same space, takes up the same energy, or uses less energy. In other words, you're in a sign. Again, to use evolutionary examples, we're really just proposing a slightly divergent, you know, example, and we're saying, hey, we can do this for less money, and we can do, and we can have more intersections of ideas and so forth and therefore it actually fulfills the same mandate for content or entertainment or there has to be a generosity ideation of, a generosity of ideation or potential ideation for everyone you know who enters the space so mm. it's about keeping it open you know while running our, our usual sort of uh, parade of iconography you know through it of course mm-hmm. so you could say within a capitalist model well we can actually out out-compete in specific situations by trying not to compete or not adopting limited strategies, you know, like career strategies, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, right. And in fact, artists have always done this. When people use that term like the left bank when Paris was the center of the art world, like in the 19th century, it was about refugees from every other country in Europe who were in the arts just living in squalor in different environments and creating micro-communities, right? Yeah. The, the art narrative in the West is always based on these small groups that, that come together. Like, you know, Burrier's term of uh, microtopias? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And with the Internet now, you can connect to the small subcultures mm-hmm. everywhere in the world. I mean, it's an amazing profusion of cultural information, right? Mm-hmm. Which um, fits in with our thing, our our main operating principle would overlap with DIY. You know, do it yourself. The internet is a huge uh, tool for people who want to share and educate each other on anything, you know, that you can possibly name, right? So when we do those kind of gallery shows, it's like a manifestation or a material example of how information could be, could flow within, you know, subcultural groups or cultural groups. And you you embody that in a way because of how you um, how you made yourself present within the space too. You camped out there for for a period of time. For the did you stay for the entire show? Oh, you mean uh, you're talking Donkey Ninja? Yeah, I'm I'm back on well, the on that show. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> we did camp out there. We had our tents there. Yes, and and we were on camera. I think 24 hours through their surveillance. I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> that they we they didn't show that as part of the show. But uh, yeah, no, uh, we were there probably three days a week. You know, um, wow. because we live north with all our cats, so we can't really take you know yeah. huge chunks. But yeah, yeah it was a, it was a residency. And uh, we love that. It was, you know, two months. We've of done it live. before. And we we have stayed in libraries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've done libraries. We did Oakville Galleries that way. We did the Vamp Center where we were literally on display as a performance. And then, you know, the show, again, for all, most of the duration of the show back in, I guess, that was 87, I believe, um, as well as the AGO in 88. Mm-hmm. That was as well a residency, and we inhabited the space. But you can see how that fits in with this um the modern notion, say, in capitalism yeah. of 24-7 productivity mm-hmm. where people are 
continually connected to their telephone, et cetera, et cetera. We're basically saying, oh, we're going to be installing this show, but we're going to sleep here too. So in case we need to do something at two in the morning or three or whatever, you know, full productivity. How could, <laughs> it's like how the could Google farms, right? Not say yes to that. Oh, we've got people literally working 24 hours a day. Around the clock. Yeah, around the clock. <laughs> You've got the mini golf out front. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder, sorry? I was just wondering if we could take a quick music break and yeah. uh, check out some sure. of the other the other stuff that you've um, put forth for us off your mix, off, the, off your, uh, your playlist. Go playlist. Emo Electro. What, what's, your, what's your top pick? Emo Electro. Emo Electro, okay. Well, we... You we make play? different mixes for different times of the day or for different activities. So we just took from some of those. So like Roy Scott, like I had this thing. We call we call that stuff emo electronica or, you know. Perfect. So we'll play. Going with the highly emotional, you know, affect, core it, affect theory music. Awesome. <laughs> it's the morning. It's time for emo electro. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to play Roy up. I had this thing, uh, the Yasforin mm-hmm. remix. And we'll be back with you guys in just a second. Sure, sure. Give it all for a second chance 
Rick's up. I had this thing, the Yasuan remix. Uh, you're listening to CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph, uh, and it's time for a very special time of the day the cork board. <laughs> I was not so much lead up this time. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> this week on the cork board, nine years of Kazoo. Kazoo is an amazing DIY local music festival. Um, it has ongoing programming throughout the year and a yearly festival as well. This is its ninth birthday. Um, expect amazing things. No cake, no candles, unfortunately. That means we can't have a cake fight. Too bad. But you get <laughs> cupcake duct tape instead, the amazing new project of uh, Steph Yates and Alana Gurr. It's going to be really great. That's on Wednesday, June 10th. That's tonight. <laughs> At Silence. Um, and Makema and Big Brave are playing after them. Um, doors are at 8. I think all shows are $10. All shows are all ages. So there's three nights. Thursday night, June the 11th, um, Hank is playing with Maker Starling and the Gordon Brothers. And on Friday night, Danny Fury is playing with Army Girls and the Skeletons 4. That one's at E-Bar. Doors are at 9.30 for that one. Doors at 8 for the two silent shows on Wednesday and Thursday. I believe Army Girls might have the same singer as Diana, Carmen L. Oh, sweet. Who's That's absolutely fantastic. Show. Cool. Yeah. And we have the, um, our guests are the Fast Worms this morning. We, we are very lucky to have them joining us from their studio in Cremore. And we have them to thank for these amazing for these morning amazing tunes. tunes. Yeah. So um, we, we've been talking about a lot of uh, different aspects of art making, and we wanted to um, zone in on some of these wonderful collaborations that you've been doing um, with people like Andrew Harwood and the Feminist Art Gallery and ask you if you might have some words of advice about collaboration for young artists. Collaboration? Yeah, I'm kind of going off the script here. We had we had mentioned a few questions that we wanted to ask you, but um, this has come up just in thinking about some of the things you guys are offering us today. Well, okay. we're actually a shared we're actually a shared authorship, and we don't consider ourselves a collaboration. Um, but we do collaborate. But you do collaborate with, with others. People yeah. Shared authorship. Yes, that, that's absolutely right. Um, so here's a, 
advice so we're in an advice column section now (laughs) we had the cork board and now we have the advice column section here's a key principle adopt an understanding about um relentless positivity (laughs) that's awesome in other words to avoid the standard things that humans are all prone to which is to say no getting into a disagreement (laughs) or being in a a bad mood and then it escalates into side of a destructive cycle you just artificially adopt the notion that in every situation you're looking for a net gain mm. in other words the positive Together. The economy is yeah. always about <laughs> yeah even though it's absurd and it sort of offends people's you know cynical sensibilities I mean, our point about positivity, we always say, you know, this doesn't mean that you're all happiness and rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. It means you're actually very, very dark. You understand exactly how, you know, horrible people in the world can be. Mm. But you just make a choice, and it ends up working way better in terms of collaborations to always just imagine. You know, our vet has a, a picture of a dog we were just there because we're dealing with a cat right now. And on it, the picture of the dog she has, try and be the person your dog thinks you are. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that poster. You know, it's awesome. That's the kind of stuff that can drive, you know, certain kinds of cynical people <laughs> that just, you know, makes bile rise up into their throat. But if you're working with people and, you know, you're trying to accomplish something, you want to make sure that you're, you're striving for that kind mm. of uh, what's the best. Absolutely. But I think I hear... The plan for the worst, but manifest the best principles. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think maybe it sounds like I've been reading Jacob Wren, and I'm sure you guys know his work well, too. He's a Montreal writer um, who, and he has been written several plays as well as um, short fiction and a novel. And um, he also did this work in um, Holland in 2009, um, called uh, with Peter de Boiser and it was the um, manifesto for critical optimism I think <laughs> and I wonder if that maybe gets at what you're talking about that it's it's a positivity but it's a positivity with an acknowledgement of the hardship in the world as well that there's there we have to be positive and optimistic because it has momentum and direction and it's for the good of of all of us but at the same time acknowledging that it's a really tough thing to do well it goes back to what we were talking about earlier you know we're going to lose but it's how we lose that that makes a difference you know that's where aesthetics come into it and and social social dynamics right but um, are we going to, uh, maybe I want to challenge this idea that we're going to lose because I, I guess I have this optimistic belief that if we do collaborate, that what can come out of a collaboration can be stronger than what, uh, what, what we might offer as individuals. So um, this, this thing between two people that gets created is more like a one plus one equals three than a one plus one equals two. Absolutely, because you create a third identity mm-hmm. that is not, no longer, um, and your ego can no longer inhabit it fully. So it's actually mm-hmm. kind of incredible and, and very liberating to do that. We encourage our students, um, you know, even in, you know, sculpture one and sculpture two in particular, you know, the, the, the younger students to collaborate. But we always let them know that they get the same mark. 
you know, so they have to negotiate, you know, the, the, all the labor negotiations, you know, ideological negotiations are all done by them. And then they stand, you know, with their, with their, you know, performance, art, object, whatever, at the end of it, and, and they stand together. And I think they find it particularly liberating as well. Or versus, versus, versus. Oh, well, versus, uh-huh. versus would be a, a pretty, I mean, seven, seven individuals within a group, that's pretty unwieldy and pretty interesting, you know, in terms of the dynamic. And in fact, I like it because you no longer try to identify the work by the individuals anymore. Like with two people, people are always trying to figure out what who's this who's. And it becomes really maddening. Um, well, the opposite, but Again, that relationship to capitalism is intellectual property is is the barrier, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. And in our case, if you break down this link, which goes back to the renaissance between the individual genius and their output, and therefore their property that will always be linked back to their name, right? Mm-hmm. The moment you have, like, for example, versus versus, they speak about the fact that there was no plan to their aggregation, and they work on just constant negotiation, right, which is another principle. You have to accept if you're going to get involved in collaboration that you recognize the whole of the world is negotiation, so why pretend that is, you know, that you can't operate that way? Exactly. Even and within an individual practice, I'm sure you're negotiating constantly, so there's just yeah, a... exactly. So... You don't need to be alone. And also, again, you're talking about resistance to capitalism. Mm. There's a case of like, so who owns this product? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who's the person that we're going to, you know, uh, attach it to or where the money is going to flow to or whatever. Obviously, in their case, they they, they have to share, you know, the same way myself and Kim, we share the position of a professor, which means... We only receive individually half of the salary of a professor. Is that an attack on, you know, a professor being able to have an individual salary? No, it's just a different approach. We're saying we'll decide how we share the workload. We decide what the division of labor is. It's not your business, you know. Mm -hmm. As an individual professor that's two people, are we doing the work? Are we getting things done? Are we, you know... In other words, with capitalism, it always comes back, you know, just to this reductionist model. Well, did this get done? So in terms of instrumental reasoning, we're saying that, yes, seven people or two people can be quite, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of additional value to that, let's say, in an economic model. But when we're saying losers, what we're talking about is a more existential problem is which, of course, we're all just biological creatures that are going to die. We're extremely, uh, what would you call it, transient. We don't really occupy... It's fleeting, right? Yeah. yeah. In terms of the, this planet, we're just like brief little blips. You know what I mean? So that's a kind of emotional structure that we're saying. When we're saying loser, we're saying, hey, if we all agree that we're just... If we in our rational minds can understand that we're highly transient temporary things, mm. even though our minds create this structure of continuity that like we're going to be around forever or something. If we recognize that, then we should give up on a lot of these hierarchical structures. Right. It's easier to, to surrender to the collective when when we recognize that there isn't set anything so very, very special about an individual life. Mm. Yes, exactly. And, yeah. and a collectives already create that because you've already lost, like, you can sort of go back to your room and go, 
where's the me in this? Like, when will I get recognized or whatever? It's irrelevant at that point because mm. you're participating in the we, you know, of it and the, the social uh, of it. And at the same time, you've, you know, you've destroyed the the standard ego problems that you have in uh, in in individuation, right? Mm. So there's a lot to be gained. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's just that's a question where we would call that being a more beautiful loser than just a loser. And and I'm sharing your losership. Yeah, where it's a shared loss, <laughs> collective losership. That's a. Re- I think that's a really important. Um, uh, nuance of this idea of of loss and this idea of losing that that you bring up and i'm i'm hoping i can stitch one other layer in um we had a chance to talk with a um an indigenous uh curator of mohawk descent uh named france trepanier in vancouver over the last week um as part of our work with musagetis and uh she brought into the conversation this this um concept of willie ermans which is the ethical space that's formed between two societies or and i think it could be applied to two people as well with mm-hmm. with disparate worldviews um and disparate knowledge systems who are poised to engage with each other and uh the the basic premise is that uh thinking about diverse societies and the space between them contributes to the development of a framework for dialogue um between these different kinds of communities so it's it, I think it it all does stem back to collaboration, and I really um, I really appreciate the the advice that you've given because I think that collaboration is a buzzword that's often used. It, it's become quite jargony in in contemporary art culture in terms of getting more funding and a way of uh, organizing projects. But um, I think what you're talking about is the actual work that is done, the the sort of loose set of protocols that are undertaken in order to make something uh, powerful together. And it, it's it's really well, the awesome. DIY, you know, culture. We're, what we're saying is that the rewards are built into the process then, mm-hmm. not a specific output. But what you'll find is that the output can be very interesting. You know, the artworks that are made and so forth can be, they can have all the features of creativity that people already appreciate or look for in the arts. And you know recognizable I mean? res- resonances too. I mean, it's nice. It's, it's very, it's very, you know, it's, cool. it's about the experiential yeah. aspects of making things which we're interested in as artists right mm-hmm. and we're saying let's not worry about the product and what its position is going to be in you know the economy of whatever mm-hmm. the art world etc cetera, etc cetera. there's kind of a shift in value sorry there's just a shift in valuation from the recognition and the kind of profit to the valuation of the togetherness and the community that you're building through that yeah but mm-hmm. yeah. occasionally you get you get to prove that there's some advantage by saying, you know, okay, in the example of, let's say, we make a really traditional bronze sculpture, somewhat traditional like the... Um, the, the Griffin. Uh, griffin or what? The yeah. Griffin okay. for the University of Guelph. Mm-hmm. Well, that was constructed with graduate students working with us, you know, in a collaborative environment. Mm-hmm. And we're saying, okay, does this object look as good or meet the same kind of, you know, aesthetic qualifications, even though some people were working on the tail, you know, without being able to see the people who were working on the side mm-hmm. of the face and so forth. There's only four of us. Yeah, but yeah we could each other, but it was a very small studio where we couldn't see over the griffin. Oh, wow. We were pointing out to people who look at the sculpture that 
if you look at the sculpture, if you walk around it, you'll see everything is out of proportion, in fact. But because it's be constructed by people in a, an enclosed space where we never got to step back, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, it seems to have a dynamic that works. Because when people are walking around it, they can't see the opposite side at the same time, too, right? Mm-hmm. There's a coherence to it as well. And I think yeah, that's completely of, coherent. Yeah. So, so again, you have these objects that can exist in the world, and you say, okay, this was created with a social dynamic. Mm-hmm. Is there something here? Is the product inadequate? You know, right. relative to some object that had a, I don't know, it's unified a- Renaissance type artist, yeah. singular artist behind it. It's a kind of a- exquisite corpse. In a way, yeah, yeah, something along along those lines. Except when you're working in a social dynamic, there's constant communication going mm-hmm. back and mm-hmm. forth, right? Okay, and communication always. I mean, me and I can have conversations for a week about you know, or, or longer about something we're doing, and until we pull out our pen and paper and and do like a schematic or a drawing, we're not on the same page usually. You know, there's right. There's, it's and it becomes really interesting to have that to have, to actually have these conversations with completely different fabricated, you know, um, imagery in, in our head about how that's going to be outputted. Uh-huh. And you can totally, I, I, I often find this in conversation too, that you have a conversation and then sometimes you interpret it one way and someone else takes something totally different away from it. And it's not until that you've written it down or drawn it out that you kind well, you of... bring it to form. Exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. about DIY is that once you've got your hands in it, once you have to deal with the, you know, the material world and bringing things to form and, and mm-hmm. all the laws of gravity and all the other stuff, then absolutely are you, you know, it comes together. And that's actually kind of the beautiful part as well is that, that crisis form and interacting with the real world mm-hmm. I mean, the materials again it comes back to this idea that um, the concept of social dynamics extends outward from just people it includes materials too mm-hmm. so when you're working with you know in that case say a specific type of wax it has certain properties to it and certain plastic operations Mm-hmm. And you will learn that that's the DIY thing is like when you're working with material, it's not like you're imposing your will on the material, although that is a certain, again, notion of how things get mastery, made. Yeah. yeah, mastery. We're actually engaged in negotiation, like a group of people are going, at this temperature, this stuff does this, which is interesting, but at this temperature, which is just a degree away, it's difficult and it doesn't work and it crumbles in that. Mm-hmm. And then everyone says yeah and then but at this temperature using this tool i get this effect and so forth and after a while that's not a discussion right with like artists it's just hands-on then and you're you're exchanging tactile information all the time with another person Hmm. so it ends up building a kind of dynamic to it right absolutely based on pleasure too because you're you're really what you're really going is if i'm going to spend you know four or five hours a day working with this thing, I need some kind of tactile reward that's coming back mm-hmm. to me, right? Mm-hmm. For so, that amount of time. So sure. we're, we're, we've only got about five minutes left and, and time sure. has just f- flown by because we've, we've, uh, we've had such a superb morning with you. Um, we, we really want to squeeze in one last quick question and, okay. and we're wondering if you might be open to revealing to us what you believe the secret ingredient <laughs> in art is. We like to ask this of all of our guests. Well, we could just say, do what you will, harm unto none, is, is you know, kind of our, our, our very quick and more glib which motto, but um, which actually, you know, you can live it that way. But love is the law, 
That's I love awesome. that one as well. Yeah. It's another, you know, um, it comes from love, comes from light always. That's this, is a, this is kind of a, one of the consensus items in witch culture. And that queer love culture. Is the law of, hmm? and, qu- and queer culture as well. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah. The overlap that, um, but people don't often glom onto that second one. They wonder, what does love as the law mean? And it's kind of the default position when all the other ethical things are convoluted or facing a contradiction, you default to love is the law. In other words, there's no other legal or analytical analytical mechanism that you should go past that. You just apply the that principle. And of course, we're not talking about a love like puppy love or some kind of like individuation love. We're talking like the bigger principle mm-hmm. of like an emotional engagement with the entire, you know, with everything. And there is no boundary between your life and your and and your art. Uh, it it just it just doesn't work that way. There's no even entering a studio. You said we were in our studio. Well, our st- we only really had a studio a year ago when we built it for the uh, to make the Griffin mm-hmm. in. We work outdoors. You know, mm-hmm. amazing. We work under tarps. The oval at the University of Guelph was made under a tarp throughout the summer. You know, so you know we're pretty much steeped in our environment. There isn't really a. You know, we like Gilbert and George as an influence because you know they they introduced the uh, the living sculpture concept where and and that art and life did have not had no separation for them and I think we use that as a governing principle for the most part. Hmm. That's fantastic. Is that a secret? It's, that's it's a great a secret. secret. That's someone else's secret. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's allowed to. <laughs> and I think and 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 both of. Um, both of those have come up in some of your your writings about your work as well. So um, I'd just like to take an opportunity to recommend to our readers that they consider picking up a copy of uh, the Fast Worms catalog, which um, uh, is featuring their their 2007 uh, survey show. It's it's an older catalog, but it's a great one. It has some fantastic writing by Andrew Harwood, uh, John Davies, Emily Changer, uh, Philip Monk, and Sally McKay, um, and it can be picked up at the AGYU. Sally McKay's essay is amazing, and it's a they won an award from OWAG, which I uh-huh. am happy about too. She's she's an incredible. We would point out that the uh, the Pirate Utopias book that we were talking about by Peter Lamborn Wilson, mm-hmm. you can download PDFs of that because he appropriately, to, <laughs> yeah, he belongs to that milieu of writers that don't believe in copyright. Mm-hmm. It's just shared, you know, it's open source. Yeah, fantastic. But, uh, yeah, we, we talk about what we're doing, uh, working on now, or is that kind of? Yeah, yeah give us a no, taste. Give us a little taste. No, you got two. Can you can you squeeze it? We can we can do it. Okay, I'll let you do it because I used to, we're working on a project with John Hampton, curator in residence at the uh, amazing. At the he's so great gallery, and he's a Chickasaw heritage from Regina, and he's um, working on a working title is the Ontology of Stones, hmm. and so we're working on. Um, I'll let you get a little quick on the rock. We're designing a new form of the internet that instead of the Internet of Things, it's the Things Internet, <laughs> basically using stones and rock configurations that people can use as their devices and then it's going to connect to the um, the dynamics of the of the earth of the core in other words where the magnetic field of this planet gets generated reaching below beautiful yeah, using the fluid dynamics of the earth to connect to basically Dynamo. it's going to be the uh, an emotional internet in other words it won't be like typical semiotic messaging where you have sender-receiver. Mm-hmm. It'll be much, much closer to music where people go, well, what did I actually get from that, you know? It's 
not a, a simple message, right? Right. Part of our core aspect traffic. Which is, it's so beautiful um, in, in the spirit of DIY to have people make their own meaning from it too and not have it be so didactic. Yeah, so we're going to try and get, we're going to try and work it out with friends and also perhaps through the internet where people can put together arrangements of stones and join this new uh, internet, which won't cost any money at all. And you'll be able to get a new device every week without, you know, a two-year plan. (laughs) A new stone, a new week, a new stone. Kim and I, thank you so much for joining us. Um, We are really excited to have talked with you. all our listeners, you're listening to Fast Worms on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. We'll be back next Wednesday with an all-new episode of The Secret Ingredient. Um, thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you so very Thank much. You. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye for now. Bye.